This morning, God's Word comes to us from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. We're going to begin reading at verse 5 and then read through verse 11. Romans 8, beginning at verse 5. What we hear now is God's Word. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. If you have a Psalter hymnal, I invite you to turn to the back to page 102. This is the third and fourth heads of doctrine of the Canons of Dort. And at this point, I'm going to read just the first three articles of heads of doctrine three and four. Article one, man was originally formed after the image of God. His understanding was adorned with a true and saving knowledge of his Creator and of spiritual things. His heart and will were upright, all his affections pure, and the whole man was holy. But revolting from God by the instigation of the devil and by his own free will, he forfeited these excellent gifts and in the place thereof became involved in blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment, became wicked, rebellious, and obdurate in heart and will, and impure in his affections. Article 2. Man, after the fall, begat children in his own likeness, a corrupt stock produced a corrupt offspring. Hence, all the posterity of Adam, Christ only accepted, have derived corruption from their original parent, not by imitation, as the Pelagians of old asserted, but by the propagation of a vicious nature in consequence of the just judgment of God. Article 3. Therefore, All men are conceived in sin and are by nature children of wrath, 
incapable of saving good, prone to evil, dead in sin, and in bondage thereto. And without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit, they are neither able nor willing to return to God, to reform the depravity of their nature, or to dispose themselves to reformation. Well, we have been studying together the glorious doctrines of God's grace. Uh, these doctrines expressed for us in the canons of Dort. Uh, we have talked about God's electing love, that we are elected unconditionally because of who God is. We have talked about the nature of atonement. It is for each and every one of God's chosen people. And last time, we started talking about total depravity, the fact that man is totally depraved. And we tried to be clear about what we mean by total depravity. When we say total depravity, we do not mean that man is absolutely as bad as he possibly could be. What we do mean is that every part of man, the totalness, every part of man is stained with sin. His thoughts, his words, his actions. And we have looked at a number of biblical texts as we're looking at these doctrines of grace. Because I've said it again and again, uh, these are not distinctly Protestant doctrines. These are not distinctly Reformed doctrines. These are not United Reformed Church doctrines. These are biblical doctrines. They come from the Scriptures themselves. And we have even looked at some um, apparently challenging Scriptures that would seem to say something different. Remember, kids, we talked about the world texts, how God so loved the world. Now, does that mean each and every person? We said no. And God wants all to be saved. Does that mean everyone head for head? We said no. So we've looked at some difficult texts to help us understand them correctly. This morning, we're going to talk about man's free will, because as soon as you start to talk about total depravity, someone will say, but isn't man free yet? Doesn't he have a will free to choose for God? So I thought perhaps we should look at one of those difficult texts this morning to help to understand it properly. And I thought we should look at the text, uh, whosoever will may come. Because that text, is the favorite of every Arminian, seems to say that it's up to you. God might make an offer of salvation, but whosoever will may come. So I thought about that a bit, and then recognized what you already recognize. The text, whosoever will may come, is not found in Scripture. That is not a verse in the Bible. There's a text similar, but a similar is not the same. Well, where do we get that, that phrase, whosoever will may come? Uh, I like to collect old hymnals, and I looked through some of my old hymnals and found a song written in 1870, entitled, Whosoever Will. And this is the text. Whosoever heareth, shout the shout. Spread the blessed tidings all the world around. 
Spread the joyful news wherever man is found. Whosoever will may come. The chorus, whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over vale and hill. Tis the loving Father calls the wanderer home. Whosoever will may come. Not a biblical text, but an old song from years ago. Now, while it's true, the gospel is to be preached promiscuously to everyone around us. It is not to say that it's up to us then, that finally the decision of who's to be saved lies with my will. We're going to talk about the nature of man's will this morning, man's free will. Whenever we ask the question, does man have a free will, the very next question we have to ask is, what man? What man are we talking about in connection with the question of free will? For certainly, when man was created, he was created perfect and in the image of God, and as such, had a will that was perfectly free. Adam was created after God in true righteousness and true holiness, and Adam's will was a truly free will. That's what our confession reminds us of in Article 1. Man was originally formed after the image of God. His understanding was adorned with a true and saving knowledge of his Creator and of spiritual things. His heart and will were upright, all his affections pure, and the whole man holy. That's how man was created. Man had a perfectly, completely free will. He had a will that could choose not to sin. That was within the power of Adam's free will. He had a will that could choose not to sin. Now, for those of you that like old Latin theological phrases, we refer to that as man being passe non pecare. Just means able not to sin. Man's will was free. Completely free. He could, he could choose to sin. That's passe pecare. He could choose not to sin. Passe non pecare. Completely free. Adam chose to exercise his free will. He chose to exercise his will freely and chose against the Word of God and chose to go his own way. Adam was not compelled to sin. To be sure, he was tempted Adam was not compelled to sin, but he freely chose to go his own way rather than God's way. And in doing so, lost the freedom of his will. Man became, the phrase is, non passe non pecare, not able not to sin. Man lost that completely, 
perfectly free will to sin or not to sin, and he became bound, not able not to sin. That is the state of the will of man in fallen man, in unregenerate man. He is not able not to sin. He lost his free will. Now, again, people will say, but, but don't we still make choices? Well, certainly man still makes choices. Certainly, we, we might say we retain some freedom. We have freedom of choice. Uh, kids, if I get up in the morning and I want to have a bowl of cereal for breakfast, I have a choice. I can have uh, Lucky Charms or I can have Cocoa Puffs. I can choose. I, I can freely choose which one I want. Wait, we can make some choices yet. But when we say that, that unregenerate man has no free will, we mean no will that is able to choose for salvation. There is nothing in himself that would allow him to choose for God or to seek God on his own. Man's will is bound in sin. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The, law of the, fle- the, the mind of the flesh is hostile to God's law. It does not set its mind on the things of God, nor can it. Man is unable unregenerate man, unable to choose for God, to do things his way. And that is reflected as well in our confession. In Article 1, but revolting from God by the instigation of the devil and by his own free will, he forfeited these excellent gifts. And in the place thereof became involved in blindness of mind horrible darkness, vanity, perverseness of judgment, became wicked, rebellious, and obdurate in heart and will, and impure in his affections. Man lost his free will. He will now always choose, unregenerate man will now always choose away from God. Always choose against God's law. He will choose in concert with his will. His will is fallen, and so he freely chooses to follow that fallen will. Now, any analogy to try to explain that is going to fall short at some point. There's there's just no really good analogy. But kids, I want you to imagine this. Now, I want you to imagine that this coming week, uh, I came to visit you at your house. Now, I wouldn't be able to go in, so I would just come to the front porch. And by your front door, I would leave two bowls of food. In one of those bowls would be all of your favorite candy. Now, if this is my bowl, it would have M&M's, it would have Mounds bars, it would have 
uh, uh, Milky Way bars, I like chocolate. But imagine your favorite candies all in that bowl. And in the other bowl that I leave for you are Brussels sprouts. Kids, I do not like Brussels sprouts. Now imagine I left you those two bowls and you get to take one of them inside. I say you can take one of these bowls inside. You're going to choose that which you desire. And you're, if you're like me, you're going to pick the candy. This is what I want. I know the other, ugh, just not, not to my taste. So you're going to choose freely. You're gonna, you, have, you have a choice. There's two bowls sitting there. All the, the beautiful candy that you love or Brussels sprouts. You will freely choose the candy every single time. I know every analogy falls down at some point, but that's something of the idea, kids. You had a free choice, but this is what you chose. Man freely chooses to sin. He follows his own nature, a fallen nature, a fallen will. He has lost a sense of that freedom to choose what is right because his will is now described, fallen man, unregenerate man, is described as dead in transgressions and sins. Now it's important we keep that biblical analogy straight. Man is dead in transgression and sin. Because there's another old song, a song I remember singing growing up. It goes like this. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And our sin is described as a sickness. It's songs like that, well, maybe not, not that particularly because of the timing, but why, why Calvin was so concerned about the singing of the church. Because we sing some of these things and we begin to think they're biblical and that they fit our theology. But our, 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 we are not sick in sin. We are dead in sin. That's the biblical picture. And a text that you absolutely must know is Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, if you have your Bible there, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If not, turn later this afternoon. Ephesians 2, the first five verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were dead and we are made alive. Jesus is not a band-aid for an owie. Jesus is not a splint for a broken limb. Our own confession highlights this and this text. I really haven't pointed out how in the canons, after uh, giving the true doctrine, 
There is a section called the rejection of errors. And so for Articles 3 and 4, the rejection of errors uh, says this in paragraph 4. The the true doctrine having been explained, the synod rejects the error of those who teach that the unregenerate man is not really nor utterly dead in sin, nor destitute of all powers unto spiritual good, but that he can yet hunger and thirst after righteousness and life and offer the sacrifice of a contrite and broken spirit, which is pleasing to God. For these things are contrary to the express testimony of Scripture. Ye were dead through your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2. And every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, Genesis 6. Moreover, to hunger and thirst after deliverance from misery and after life and to offer unto God the sacrifice of a broken spirit is peculiar to the regenerate, to those who are called blessed. The unregenerate man is not sick. He is dead in transgressions and sins. Now maybe you've heard, again, pictures, analogies of of how man is saved. I remember hearing this at one point. God is so gracious to man. It's it's as if man is out in the ocean and, and he is struggling to stay above the water and his head goes down and then he comes to himself and he comes back up and he, he's gasping for breath and, and, and he goes down into the water again, but he comes back up and, and, and God comes by in a boat and throws him a life preserver and the man grabs in and God graciously pulls him in. And we get taken by pictures like that. But the picture is not of a man who is struggling for a life preserver. The biblical picture of a man is of a man who has drowned and is lying at the bottom of the ocean. That dead man then, God comes to rescue. Maybe you've, you've again, heard the analogy. And I've heard this in sermons. It's like a man who's in a terrible car wreck and he's lying on the side of the road and he's calling out for help and he's calling out for help and finally God, the great ambulance driver, comes by and puts him on the gurney and takes him away to the hospital. That's what salvation is like. They're pictures that capture our imagination, but they're all wrong. Man is dead in sin, not sick, not hurt, not lame. He is dead. That's the condition of man's will in unregenerate man. And that man passes that on then to his children. Again, from our confession, Article 2, we read there, Man, after the fall, begat children in his own likeness. A corrupt stock produced a corrupt offspring. Hence, all the posterity of Adam, Christ only accepted, have derived corruption from their original parent, not by imitation, as the Pelagians assert, but by the propagation of a vicious nature in consequence of the just judgment of God. Therefore, all men are conceived in sin and are by nature children of wrath, incapable of saving good, prone to evil, dead in sin, and in bondage thereto. Dead in sin and in bondage thereto. And unless we recognize the the seriousness of our condition, 
will never understand the glory of our salvation. Man is dead. Children, I have never heard a dead man call for help. He is dead. God comes to the dead. Not the hurt, not the sick, not the weak. God comes to the dead and brings them back to life. Man doesn't even prepare for this work. Again, our confession mentions that somewhat in passing. End of Article 3. Without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit, they are neither able nor willing to return to God to reform the depravity of their nature or to dispose themselves to reformation. Man does not prepare for grace. He is dead in transgressions and sins, and God comes to him. That is man in his fallen, unregenerate state. Remember, we talked about heads of doctrine three and four, always talked about together. Because God doesn't leave us in that desperate condition. But he regenerates man. We are made alive. And that is what Paul talks about also in Romans. Go to verse 9. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are not left in that dead fleshly condition, for the Spirit of God is active. The Spirit gives life. He brings life to a dead body. Verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give to your mortal body through the Spirit He who dwells in you. You will be made alive. Alivened by the power of God. Not by my choice, not by my free will, but alivened by God's Spirit working in me, giving me new life in Christ. And receiving that new life, that will which was dead, that will which would always choose the wrong, is also made alive, is enlivened by the Holy Spirit. God works in us and works in our will that we can begin to choose the things of God. Unregenerate man will always choose away from God. But those in whom the Spirit is active, in in whom the Spirit is working, their will begins to desire an obedience to God, bringing glory to God. And God is at work as we have been made alive. Redeemed man, once again, can begin to choose for the things of God. Not because of something in him, but because God is working in him. His Spirit is powerful and active, which is why We call the believer to obedience to God. If my will was left unregenerate and always choosing away from God, it would make no sense to call for obedience. But God has made us alive. We now have an enlivened will. And and the more that we exercise that to follow after the ways of God, the more we will desire to follow after the ways of God. What is the condition of man's will? I will not plead with the unregenerate this morning to seek out God. If God is not active, these are spiritually discerned things and they will make no sense to you. But God does work 
and God does enliven through the preaching of His Word. And this morning, if you are sensing that that this is true, that this, that this is, is right, that you are hearing the call of the gospel, then I implore you to embrace Jesus Christ, not by the exercise of your will, but because God is working on you. Hear that call to faith and repentance. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing you have to do, simply believe. Believe what he has done. And know the glory of a will that is made alive by the power of the Spirit and a God that now calls us who have been enlivened to follow after Him, to to hear His law with joy and to delight to do those things which God calls us to do. Live the life God has called because He is working that we might make those choices, exercise our will in a way that is pleasing to Him. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, this morning we have talked about difficult things, understanding the nature of our will. And yet you and your word have revealed truth to us. So we pray that that truth might shine through. The truth of your word, not simply songs or phrases that we have heard. Oh, we confess, O God, left to ourselves, There is nothing in us that would choose for you. We were dead in transgressions and sins. But you who are rich in mercy made us alive in Christ Jesus, alivening our heart, alivening our mind, and enlivening our will that we might follow after you. Thank you, O God, for the glorious gift of salvation a gift which affects every part of us as our depravity affected every part of us. Move in us by your Holy Spirit that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you and that brings you glory. Help us to exercise our will to follow your law. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.